Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. This life can put a lot of demands on us to perform and succeed in business, education, athletics, and even at home. Have you ever wondered, though, what God's definition of success is? What does He want from you? The answer to these questions could be slightly different for each one of us, but there are some foundational elements that are the same for everyone. In our new series, Becoming God's Best for You, we'll explore what it is that God really wants for us individually and how you can become the best version of you as God desires. We believe He wants to speak to you today, so sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's Day 3 Live, and it starts right now. I heard someone say one time that it appeared in the New Testament when uh, Jesus was preaching, he'd stand up, but when he was sat down, he was teaching. I am not Jesus. <laughs> uh, but today I'm going to sit down because I, I want us to walk through something that is extremely important, something that, I, that, that you need to know, um, not just for yourself, but where you can share it with others uh, also. <clears throat> we started a, a series last week entitled Becoming God's Best for You. And when I was trying to pray through how to start the series, what to focus on to begin with as a very first step in becoming God's best for you, it became evident to me that we needed to focus upon the Bible and understand the Bible is God's Word, that we need to have faith in that, that we need to accept the Bible as God's Word, and we need to read it, and we need to study it, we need to believe it, we need to apply it uh, to our lives. And if you don't accept the Bible as being God's Word, then really anything else I say in this series or any other series probably won't matter a lot, won't have the impact that it ought to have unless you accept the Word of God to be uh, the Word of God. So that was our first step. Today we're going to take the next step in becoming God's best for you. Uh, And we're going to kind of walk around in Romans chapter 3. So if you'll take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, And as we walk through uh, from there through verse 28 today, uh, I want you to really kindly notice um, a couple of things. God's best for you also involves you admitting who you are, uh, being honest about what God says about you, either as you are now, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, or who you were before you received Christ as your Savior. And then God's best for you also requires you trusting in what Christ has done for you. Um, At the end of this series, I think I've already alluded to it maybe once, but at the end of the series, uh, we're going to take one theme or one message and and talk about it for four weeks. Uh, And we're going to be trying to share with you how to share the gospel. Uh, I'm going to take one Sunday and walk through Romans Road. Uh, John's going to take a Sunday and talk about the four spiritual laws. Daryl's going to talk a, take a Sunday and talk about the ABCs of salvation. Uh, Chuck Campbell is going to take a uh, Sunday, and, uh, and he's going to talk about the three circles as a way to uh, share the gospel. And I don't know just yet, but I'm hoping the first Sunday in August, uh, a, a friend of mine uh, from up in uh, uh, Black Mountain, and uh, uh, Trent went up there to start a uh, church, moved there from Kentucky, didn't even know, you know what he was doing, didn't have a church, moved he and his family there, and he just started walking around the town building relationships. 
And uh, God has used him in a great way uh, up there. So I hope he'll be with us on that Sunday to talk about the need to relationally share the gospel, build relationships with people. Now, that being said, uh, we're going to talk about the gospel today. And while it's not really a, a training session today on how to share the gospel, and even though I'm going to walk through Romans Road later on in this series, I, I can tell you right now what we're going to look at today has every component you need to share the gospel with somebody. In, in Romans Road, you'll start out over here and talk about all of sin, fall short of the glory of God. But guess what? Just keep reading in this section. And you've got everything you need here in this one section to share the gospel. So the, the first goal is it's for you. And if you don't know for sure you know Christ as your Savior, today's for you. But it's also for you if you do know Christ as your Savior, it's for you because you need to be able to learn how to take this and share it with somebody else. Amen? So we're going to look at two really necessary topics as we walk through these verses. Here's topic number one. If you really want God's best, you must admit who you are or if you already know Christ as your Savior, who you were. You, you need to admit who you are. And, I, and I'm going to read verse 10 through 20, and then we're going to break it down. And then in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about the second main topic today. And, and we'll be in verse 21 through 28, and we'll break that down. But right now, we're going to focus upon the need for us to admit who we are, who God says we are, to agree with what God says uh, about us, or at least about mankind apart from Jesus, apart from redemption. So look with me at, at verse uh, 10. And uh, guys, I hope you've got your Bible with you. If you don't, you ought to bring it. I know we put it on the screen. Uh, but some of the things we're walking through today, if you uh, are of the mindset that you don't mind marking in your Bible, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, I'm marking mine, see here, not being irreverent, it's just being how to use it and, and everything, uh, I would highlight some of the scripture. I'd mark it down and uh, maybe make some notes today uh, on it. So uh, let, let's read verse 10. Uh, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And you guys, the immediate reference there is talking about uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. But guess what? We're all accountable under the law. God gave us the law to show us that we're sinners. We'll talk more about that in a moment. So um, are all under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So, so follow with me, and, and let's walk through this, son. To, to begin with, as we think about admitting who we are, the Bible tells us here, you are not righteous, at least not on your own, not just like you are. You, you are not okay. You're not right with God, just like you are. It says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. In the Greek, it means it's, it stands written, the tense of it. It's like it's written in stone. It stands written that, that, that no one is righteous. And, and in the Greek, it uses an absolute negative. Absolutely no one is innocent, 
holy, just, or right, just like they are. And look at how the Holy Spirit led Paul to write that. None is righteous, okay, but then he even puts this as an addendum to it. No, not one. And he uses the absolute negative again. So so no one is righteous just like they are. And here's why. If you'll jump down to verse number uh, 23, it says, All of sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every human being, all of us, the whole of us, we miss the mark. We cannot stack up to God's glory. We, we fall short of, of God's glory. When it says none is righteous uh, there a moment ago, there's a group, and some of you may have heard about them, but there's a group in our culture that uh, kind of self-identifies as being the nuns. Uh, and not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. Uh, and, and that represents a group of people that just say, I have no affiliation whatsoever with any type of religion. And if you were to ask them, that's what they would say. And it is a growing group within our nation, within America. Estimates, and this is 2019 estimates, so I'm assuming it's worse now. But 2019 estimates said 20 to 25% of Americans identify themselves as being part of the nuns, that they don't have any religious affiliation whatsoever. A professor did a study of, of the nuns to kind of see what kind of progression led them there. To start with, guess what they do? They stop going to church whatsoever. They, they just give up on going to church. Second thing they do after they give up on going to church, they stop belonging. They, they just stop feeling like they belong whatsoever. Uh, and then the, the last step is this. They just stop believing. And that's who the nuns are. But in biblical terms, the Bible says none are righteous. No one is righteous, just like they are, because we have all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. Uh, most of you who have been around here very long. You've heard me illustrate it like this before, but when it says all fall short of the glory of God, here's how extreme it is. It's not like we fall a little bit short. It's the same concept, and even worse than what I'm about to say, if you put a target on the moon and you try and hit it with a slingshot, is that going to work out for you? It's impossible. You, you can't hit a target on the moon with a slingshot. That's not going to happen. And, and yet some people misunderstand that. They, they think, well, I'm about as good as somebody else. No, that's not the question. Are you as good as God? You know, can, can you attain God's glory, just like you are by, by yourself. Matter of fact, the way people kind of rationalize that in their minds, and uh, years ago, I used this illustration also. I, I threw pencils out on the floor. I'm not going to do that today. But if, but if you were to go down to the, to the Grand Canyon, by the way, this isn't an original illustration to me. I don't thank Billy Graham for this one. But uh, if you go down to the Grand Canyon and say you had three people down there, and they all get this crazy idea, they're going to jump across the Grand Canyon. Not using a rocket, you know, like evil can evil or anything like that. They're just going to run jump. So the first guy runs out, and he's not that good of an athlete, and he jumps out about five feet. Guess what happens to him? Okay, the next guy's a little bit better athlete, and he runs, and he jumps out maybe 10 feet. But what happens to him? And what happens at the end of the fall? Okay. Let's say the next one is a world-class Olympic athlete, and he runs out through there, and he maybe broad jumps out in the Grand Canyon 28 feet. But what happens to him? He still dies. And you see, the erroneous thought process is this. Well, the, the one that jumped 10 feet did better than the one that jumped 5, and the one that jumped 28 did better than, than the other two. But, but what's the point? Because 
all three of them what? Died. See, none of us are righteous just like ourselves. Just like we are. We're not righteous. We can't attain the glory of God. We all fall short. We all sin. We all miss the mark. Next thing I want you to see is down in verse 11. The first part of verse 11. Not, not only does it tell us we're not righteous, it, it says that we're void. You're void of spiritual understanding. The Bible says no one understands. And in use of the absolute negative, once again in the Greek, no one absolutely understands. And guys, the word understanding means to comprehend to the point that you can live your life exactly the way God wants you to live your life. None of us can do that. None of us can comprehend to that degree. No one really fully understands. Not only are we void of spiritual understanding, we're told also that we can or you can't find God, not on your own. The Bible says no one seeks for God. Once again, the absolute negative. That means absolutely no one seeks for him. Now, people will argue about that. Well, I, I sought for God. I started seeking after God, and I finally found him. That's your perspective. <laughs> Here's the truth. God's perspective is I caused you to look for me. I showed you the need that you had in, my, in, in your life. I led you to seek me. But no one of their own, unredeemed mankind, does, doesn't tend to, to, to seek after God. And, and then it tells us in verse 12, it says you have turned away from God's will. The very first part of verse 12, all have turned aside. All, any, the whole, all have deviated from God's will. We've, we've absolutely shunned God's will. We've declined away from God's will. We've excused God's will out of our life, which results in worthless behavior. Because if you keep reading verse 12, all have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. Now, the word together means at the same time through close association. Guess what happened to Adam? Sin. <laughs> All of mankind through close association, all at the same time, we, we became sinners before God. We have become worthless before God. We have been rendered useless or spoiled uh, before God, which results in all of these things. It, it gives us a description of, of what it means for a human being to look worthless, apart from being redeemed, apart from the gospel, apart from Jesus. First of all, a failure to do good. You said the absolute negative again. No one does good. No, not even one. Matter of fact, a double absolute negative there. No one does good. You might think you're doing good, and people will debate against that. They will say, but I, I know people that do good. I know people that are good. That's not the correct assumption because you're comparing yourself against other people. You're not comparing yourself against God. You're not comparing yourself against Jesus. The Bible says here, no one does good, not even one. From God's perspective, guys, we just don't stack up. Keep, keep reading. And it says their throat is an open grave. So uh, uh, unredeemed mankind, and as we look at the way men live their lives, they tend to speak corruption and, and deception and even have poison in, in their lips. Their throat is like an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Now, when it says open grave, don't think of a grave in this day and time. Think of a grave in that day and time. If you want to get a full picture of how bad he's saying mankind is apart from Christ, because a grave in that day and time, guess what? They were not embalmed. 
Remember Martha and Mary being concerned when Jesus told them to roll the stone away? Well, no, by now, you know, our, our brother stinks. Don't do that because it, it, a grave, an open grave in that day and time really, really stinks. That's how our mouths are as unredeemed human beings. That's how God paints a picture here, like an open grave, like a poison and deception. Uh, the, the human race just gives deception all the time, lies all the the time. We, it's like we have poison, venomous words under our, our lips, just ready to, to spew it out upon someone. Our mouth is full of curses and bitterness, it says there. Uh, the, the way that's phrased in the Greek means that uh, you're, you're swelling out. It's, it's like the things that you're wanting to say is just uh, building up and building up and it's swelling up and all of a sudden it just kind of explodes. The root word that's used there means to weigh the anchor. And to me, I was thinking about that, and it kind of gives the picture of this type of person. Have you ever seen the type of person that's got a really, real bad attitude, and it keeps building up, building up, building up. It's swelling up in their life until they get kind of like, Papa, I can't stand no more. Then all of a sudden, they just pull the anchor up, and they just let it all go. You ever seen somebody like that? You ever been somebody like that? You ever been somebody like that yourself? That's a picture of the way the, the, the human race operates. It, it goes on, and it, and it says that we run, uh, their feet are swift to shed blood. We, we rush to commit violence. That's a picture of the human race unredeemed. Their feet are very swift or rapid to go forth and, and pour forth blood. I mean, we, I, I don't really need to illustrate that, do I? Just think back a few weeks to Watauga County. And not just what happened there. Listen to the news. See, everything that's happening, can we not agree that, you know, mankind's pretty quick just to rush and shed blood? Especially one that's not been tendered by the gospel. Someone that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, they're, they're living in, in ruin and misery, and they're causing others to do so. It goes on there, and it says, in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way that's tensed in the Greek means in a fixed position. In a fixed position, the way they are living their lives is that they are just fracturing their life. They're, they're completely ruining their life. They're crushing their life. They're shattering completely their life. And as a result of it, they're facing misery. They're living in, in wretchedness and calamity, and they're enduring trial and misery. And guys, not only can a man do that to himself, we do it to others too, don't we? When we live an unredeemed life, a life not controlled by God, we'll cause others to face that type of misery and that type of ruin in their life. And then it says this, the way of peace they've not known. We've got an absence of what real peace is. The way of peace, the, the, the road or the manner, the means, a way of life that gives peace. Mankind doesn't know just like he is by himself. But the word that's used for peace here means to, to join together what was separated. The, the only way you can really have true peace in your life. Now, the world can give you something that they'll try to convince you is peace. But the only way you can really have peace in your life is this. is when you're joined back together with God through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. When man sinned, that relationship with God was ruptured. It was destroyed. 
And the only thing that restores that is Jesus on the cross. And when we trust in Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross, we can be brought back together and be at peace in our lives, at peace with God, because we've been joined back together with God. But lost mankind doesn't know that. They don't know real peace because they've not been joined back together with God. And then it says, we have no fear of God. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Once again, the absolute negative is used in the Greek. Absolutely, they have no fear, no respect, no phobos is the Greek word. We get our word phobia from it, of, of God, the way they see, the way they live their lives. And the last thing here is verse 19 and 20. I, I want to get on to the good stuff, amen? <laughs> we might not like what I'm reading and what I'm talking about, but... That's who we are without Jesus. That's unredeemed mankind without Christ. In varying degrees because of people, differences in their life, but that's who we are. The Bible tells us here you're under the penalty of the law and that's accountable to God. Mankind hates that. Look at verse 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law Speaks and speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped, may be shut up, may be cut off. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Uh, uh, you guys, there are a lot of churches, a lot of denominations, a lot of people that live their lives as though they think... If I can just live up to this, I'll be okay. I'll take this and I'll build myself a stairway to heaven. If I'll obey this commandment and that commandment and this commandment and that commandment, then somehow I'll get there. And after all, I've never really done anything that's that terrible. I've never murdered anyone or anything like that. But the Bible says if you break any one part of the law, you're guilty of all of it. So that means if you've ever even told a white lie. And I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I think I know human beings in my own life well enough to say no one here can stand up and say, I've never even told a, a, a white lie. A white lie is a lie itself, just trying to act like the lie is not that bad. <laughs> if you've even told a white lie, guess what? It's the same as though you're guilty of murder. If you violate any one part of it, you're guilty of all of it. It's what the Bible tells us. And mankind hates that. It, it, that's why man wants to claim the Bible's not the Word of God, because the Word of God convicts us of sin and condemns us of sin. And yet the Bible tells us here, everyone is under the penalty of law so that every human being is accountable to God. And accountable to God means we're under a sentence. We're underneath condemnation before God. And that type of accountability is what causes unregenerate men to want to reject the existence of God. They want to reject there being a creator who made everything because that means we're accountable to him. They want to reject this being the word of God. They want to reject the existence of God and say there's no God whatsoever. We just came about ourselves, you know, from a germ in a warm pond. Because they don't want to be accountable to God. Here's the, the truth of what's being said here. If there is a God, and there is, and if this is his word, and it is, 
It makes every human being accountable before God, and mankind can't stand that. Lost men do not want to be accountable to anything. And that's why they tried to deny the existence of God. But I want you to notice what he said in the last part of it. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Absolutely not. He uses the absolute negative again. No human being will be made innocent, will be proclaimed innocent, will be made just like they've never sinned. No human being will be made innocent in the sight of God, justified in the sight of God by obeying the law, because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Obeying the law can't save me. The law tells me how bad I am. (laughs) The law tells me how much I need a Savior. The law shows me how much I need the cross. The law shows me how much I need to trust in Jesus. So let's move on to the second main thing. If you really want God's best, first of all, you have to admit, guys, that's repentance. You have to agree with God. You have to admit, yes, that is me. I don't like it, but that's me, and I I can't change it. I can't save myself. I, I can't be good enough to obey the law. But the second thing we need to know today, if we really want God's best, is that we must trust, you must trust in what Christ has done. Look at verse 21 through 28. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who, what's the word? What? For there's no distinction. For how many? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. In other words, he had not fully judged sin. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Let's walk through this like we did the other. God's best is available for you through faith in Jesus Christ. Not through your own goodness, not through your own works. But God's best is available for you through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21 and verse 22 again. But now the righteousness of God has been made clear. It's been made manifest. It's been set forth. Not using the law apart from the law, even though the law and the prophets bear witness to it, talked about what God's righteousness would really be. And then it tells us what God's righteousness is. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The way we can receive the righteousness of God is not through our own goodness. It's not through works of the law, but it's by trusting in what Christ has done for us upon the cross. God's righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for everyone who believes. Now, why do we need that? Remember what we said earlier? We all need God's righteousness because we don't have it. Because we have all sinned 
and fall short of his glory, like we said a moment ago. Yeah, catch this in the first part of verse 24. God's best is available for you. Get this. At no cost to you. At no cost to you. That's why so many people, I think, miss the simplicity of the gospel. Because they think, well, surely I have to do something. I mean, I understand Jesus was sent in this world. I understand he lived a sinless life. And I understand the Bible says he died for my sins. But I, I, I still have to live a good life, don't I, in order to go to heaven? I have to earn it in some way, don't I? No, the Bible says that God's best is available for you at no expense to you. Look what it says. And are justified, made right with God, proclaimed innocent by God, and are justified by his grace. His unmerited favor as a what? Gift. And, and that literally means a free gift, gratuitously given. If it's something you've earned, it's not a gift. You're, if you work a job somewhere, and not too many people are evidently anymore, but what I see signs everywhere trying to hire somebody, but if you work a job somewhere, your boss. I hope I'm not busting your bubble. Your boss is not giving you a paycheck simply because he likes you. Your paycheck is not a gift because you worked for it and you earned it. Amen? But salvation, we can't work for. It's by his grace, it's by his unmerited favor. He chooses to save us. He chooses to give us his grace. As a free gift. Yeah, guys, that, that, that's the power of the, the gospel. That's why I'm wearing a shirt today that Lord Ming Mishamore gave me. He said it's all about the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. That, that's the first part of it. We're going to get the second part of it in a minute. But, but God's best is available for you at no expense for you. It doesn't cost you anything. But keep reading. God's best is available for you at great expense to Jesus. Doesn't cost you anything, cost him everything. Because in the second part of verse 20, well, the second part of verse 24, it, it says, through the redemption, after it talks about by his grace is a free gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The word through means the channel of the act. The, the word redemption means the act of ransoming in full. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he paid in full everything that needs to be paid for your sin and my sin. He fully paid for our sin. The redemption that's in Christ Jesus, in a fixed position in Christ Jesus, by the way, the way it's phrased in the Greek, whom God put forward, whom God designated, whom God brought forward as a propitiation, that's a fancy theological word I'll talk about in just a moment, by his blood that we are to receive by faith. Now, propitiation is one of these words that you've probably not used since yesterday, amen? Right. 
I did use it yesterday because I taught a membership class. I had apologized two or three times to the eight people in our membership class yesterday. I'm sorry, guys, but some of the stuff I'm talking about salvation, you've got to hear it again today. I'm sorry. You know? That's part of membership class. I'm not going to put somebody through a membership class and not talk to them about salvation. You being a member of day three will not save you one bit. <laughs> That's why you need to understand what the gospel is. On the Day of Atonement, to help you understand what propitiation means, on the Day of Atonement, and in the past I've talked about that some before, the high priest on the Day of Atonement would take the blood of the sacrifice. He'd go back into the most holy place, the holies of holies. One time he could do it. Once a year he could do it. And he would go back there, and there's the Ark of the Covenant. And upon the top of the Ark of the Covenant, there's this thing called the mercy seat. And there's cherubim, gold cherubim there overseeing the mercy seat. Underneath the lid of the, the covenant, inside the Ark of the Covenant, uh, one thing that's in there is the Ten Commandments. So in other words, that which proclaims us guilty, that which reminds us we can't stack up, that's what reminds us we've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That was under the mercy seat, under the lid. And the high priest on the day of atonement would pour blood out on the mercy seat. And that blood that's poured out on the mercy seat, it's even what's called the mercy seat, is the only thing that would stand between what was condemning the people and holy God was the blood that was poured out on the mercy seat. Now, guys, here's how that applies to us. It talks about Jesus being our propitiation. It's not an annual event. <laughs> it's not once a year. Jesus, once and for all, died on the cross for our sins. Jesus, once and for all, is our mercy seat. Jesus, once and for all, is our propitiation. And Jesus shed in his blood, his blood stands forever between holy God and between that which condemns us. And that is how you and I can be confident of our salvation, not in what we've done, but it's the blood of Jesus that stands between us and holy God in our condemnation. That's what it means when it tells us that Jesus was set forth as our propitiation, and then we are to believe that by Faith. Second part, verse 25 through verse 26, God's best is available for you because God is righteous and just. If God were unrighteous, you couldn't trust him. Amen? But look what it says there. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, God willingly held back, did not fully judge sin and condemn mankind for their sin. He, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. Here's what shows his righteousness. So that he can be the he can be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. When it says God is just, it means he exists as just. God exists as innocent. God always does what's right. God always does what is just. So what it means when it's saying that God is both just and the justifier is this. If God did not judge sin, then there'd be a problem with his holiness, amen, with him being holy God. If God were just to wink at our sin and say, well, it doesn't matter what you've done, I'll just come on into heaven anyway. God wouldn't be a just God. And Satan could point at that and say, oh, you're not making them pay. 
But God is just and the justifier. Now, now that means this. (laughs) Had God created mankind knowing that we would sin, knowing we could not save ourselves, and one day we'd just be condemned and cast off in hell forever, God would have been unjust because it would be like he stacked the deck against us. But that's not what God did. God is just, and he's the justifier. That means God knowing that we cannot save ourselves, God knowing that we cannot pay the penalty of our sins, God knowing there's no way that we could earn our way into heaven, God did it for us in Jesus. So he did for us what we could not do, and that makes him both just and the justifier. In other words, he's the one that makes us innocent, proclaims us innocent, even though we're guilty of those who not work, but those who believe in Jesus. One one last point. God's best is his best. It is not based upon your best. Here's why I say that. Look at verse 27, 28. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's it's excluded. It's shut out is what it means in the Greek. Guys, we've got a tendency as human beings to boast, don't we? If you're not self-aware of that, let me tell you, you do. I mean, you you let your child be the one that looks like they won the ball game. Because I I had that happen with with Jared before. You know what I talked about for the next month, every time I got around somebody that likes sports? Let me tell you what my son did. And and you know the way we tell it? We tell it as though they did it because I'm the parent. We boast. If somehow you and I could do anything involved in saving ourselves, even if somehow it's not, but even if somehow it's Jesus on the cross plus what we do, that's not the case. But if it were to be, you know what people would do when they get to heaven? Well, yeah, Jesus died on me on the cross. Hey, but let me tell you what I did. That's the way the human race is. But there's no boasting when you get to heaven except about Jesus. (laughs) He's all we have to boast about. Our boasting is excluded. By what kind of law? A law of works? No, but a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We can't boast. We can't earn our way. That's completely excluded. We can't be saved by the works of the law. It is by faith, by trusting in the gospel, by receiving what Christ has done for us by faith. And then he puts it like this. He, the, the way it's phrased in, in the Greek means accordingly we take inventory. The Apostle Paul writes inspired of God when he says, for we hold. He's saying we take this as an inventory. That one is justified. You're proclaimed innocent. You're proclaimed as though you've never sinned by God. Are you a sinner? Yes, all have sinned. Amen? We saw that a minute ago. We are sinners. We are guilty. But God proclaims us 
innocent. He proclaims us just. He proclaims us innocent. For we hold, we reckon, we compute, we take inventory that one is made just and innocent by faith apart from the works of the law. A few years ago, I illustrated it like this, but just let me give you this illustration. I'm going to read one more passage of Scripture, and then we're done. Think about it like this. You've been arrested. You're in a court of law. And you know that you're guilty. I'm sorry, that's a novel thing for me as an ex-cop because everybody I arrested never did anything wrong. But, but just follow the illustration. You've been arrested. You know you have done what you're charged with. And the judge has you to stand, and he's about to pass sentence. And then someone walks in the door of the courtroom and walks and stands beside you and looks at the judge and said, I will take their punishment, their sentence for them. Let this one go free. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. We're all guilty. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus took all of our guilt, all of our sin, all of our punishment upon himself. If you want God's best for your life, it begins with you admitting who you are, with you repenting, agreeing with God that, that you're a sinner. Bible says this in 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If you say you're not a sinner, you're lying to yourself. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, talking about God, is faithful and just, forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But look at verse 10. If we say we've not sinned, not only are you deceiving yourself, here's what you're doing. We make him a liar. If you say you're not a sinner, you're calling God a liar. And his word is not in us. So if you really want God's best for your life, it begins by saying, God, I agree with you. I admit, yeah, I don't like the way it sounds, but that's who we are. That's the way the human race is. That's the way I am. I am guilty, and God, I agree with you about everything that you say about me. I am a sinner, and I can't fix it. I can't save myself. But then the next step is you have to trust in what Jesus has done for you. He shed his blood to pay for you, to pay for your sins, to buy you back for the Father. His blood is the only thing that can stand between you and your condemnation and holy and righteous God. If you want the best for your life now and the best for your life forever, the only way that happens is through faith in Jesus. The Bible said every human being is accountable before God. But here's the kicker. Jesus was accountable for you. And he took your punishment for you. Let's pray.
Father, I, I pray right now, if there's anyone listening online or watching this online later or anyone gathered in this place right now that does not know Christ as their Savior, Father, I pray you help them in this moment to be honest about who they are. Help them to agree with you. Help them to admit to you that they are a sinner, that they can't save themselves, that all those things that, that you said about unredeemed mankind, that's, that's true of us. But Father, help them to agree with you. That's what repentance is. Help them to agree with you right now that they can't save themselves. But Father, also give them the faith they need to trust fully in Jesus. Not a little bit in Jesus and a little bit in themselves. Help them to turn loose of anything that they think they can do. Help them to turn loose of any possibility that they think they can somehow earn their way to heaven. Help them to admit who they are and help them to trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Father, right now, if there's anyone listening that does not know Christ as Savior, I pray right now they will pray, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit that I can't fix my life. I can't change that. I admit I can't be good enough to make it into heaven. God, I admit I've sinned. I admit I fall short of your glory. But Father, also right now, I'm putting full trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I believe he has redeemed me with his blood. I believe his blood is the only thing that can stand between me and holy God, between you. Father, right now, I invite Jesus into my life. I trust him with that reservation. I trust in him and him alone and what he's done for me on the cross. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that right then, we're going to have this thing called an invitation where we invite you to come forward and let us know you just prayed that. And, and you might think, well, man, there's pressure involved in that. I mean, there's people here, and I, I hate to admit that I've done that. Can, can I let you know something? Anyone that's here that already knows Christ as their Savior, they had to admit the same thing you just admitted. They had to do just the same thing you did. And can I also remind you this? Jesus, it wasn't fun for him to hang on a cross naked in front of all those people and suffer and bleed for you, but he did it publicly. So he'll do that publicly for you. How, how, really, how hard is it to step out and say, hey, I just prayed and trust him as Savior. So if you did that, I, I invite you to come forward and let us know. We'd like to give you some information, pray with you more, meet with you more. And if you already know Christ as your Savior, will you during this time pray, pray? First of all, for anyone that's here or anyone that's listening online that may not know Christ, but will you also commit yourself to taking what we shared today and share it with others. Please stand as God speaks to you. We invite you to come. Are you in need of greater peace in your life? It is possible, and it starts with being at peace with God. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. 
Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.